0: Battle Creek about ten years ago. I'm single, um, no kids, never been married. Uh, My life centered around work. You know I heard we're supposed to serve and we're supposed to do this and we're supposed to do this and I'm a rule follower at heart and I was like okay I have to serve somewhere. I um, started serving in the preschool in the castle theater for a lot of years. Um, I was not connected outside of my brother a little bit with the people in the theater but um, if I really needed something I did not necessarily have anyone, you know, that I could call on friend wise. And I was okay with that. I didn't think I really needed people. Um, the slogan life is better together. I always kind of rolled my eyes and like, Oh, it's just fine by myself actually. (laughs) And, but I decided to go to, um, if gathering, um, that was held at Midtown one year. Um, but between sessions, they have questions that you're supposed to get in a group and ask. And I'm like, okay, So um, the people behind me are like, you can be in our group. And I'm like, oh, good. (laughs) That's exciting. Um, And so I turn around and they ask, what season of life are you in? And I'm like, I'm not in a season. I haven't done my life right. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I'm kind of old. All the things. And um, then we went to break. Um, And one of them came into my row. It's somebody that I didn't know. And she's like, hey, are you in a community group? And I'm like, oh, gosh, that was one of the rules that I haven't followed. So, no, I'm not in a community group. I'm sorry. You know, there's lots of reasons. I don't want to walk up to a stranger's house and get killed, possibly, and all the things. And she said, "Um, no, I'm not judging you. I'm just thinking of starting a community group. Four months later, she texts me. I thought, well, maybe they just decide not to do it. And um, she's like, hey, we're fixing to start this community group probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, We'd really like you to come. The phrase life is better together really became personal for me when um, at this low point I came and these people who didn't even know me felt like home to me and they um, surrounded me and they saw through some of my fakeness um, and the fact that I didn't really want to get to know people because relationships are messy. Um, trust isn't easy for me. And, um, but they saw me through that and they loved me through all the nonsense. And um, I'm a hard person sometimes because I don't like emotions. I don't like any of that. The Stakeholder Summit, I think, is really the first time God is like, you have to trust me um, with money like you trust me with other things you've got to trust me with money it's gonna feel good that you did what god asked of you it may not feel good right now because you're letting go of some of that control that you love so much but uh, you know you did what god asked for you i think what excites me the most about all in is just waiting to see what god can do Uh, i just like want to go all in with everything to be able to trust him. And I know that's hard for me, but I want to go all in with that trust. And it's a challenge. Um, I want to let go of my white knuckle grip on my life, not just me. It's the whole church going all in. And what can we do together? And how can we challenge each other in our walk with God and our um, trusting God and our um, not just financial giving, but our Relationships with God, and it's like iron sharpening iron. And I think together we're going to do amazing things.
1: Amen. Well, morning, Church. It's so good to be uh, with you today. And uh, we we sang that song a minute ago. That that hymn, "Tis so sweet." Uh, to trust in Jesus. I, I can't sing that song or hear that song without thinking back to a moment uh, where my 18-year-old son was two years old and drowned, a- and he's fine. I, sometimes I forget to mention that and, and when I talk about that. But, but he did drown, and they did not believe he would be fine. A- and they life-flighted him to Pensacola, and we had a two-hour drive from Destin to, to Pensacola, uh, and all we knew is he's unconscious and it's not good. And during that two-hour car ride, uh, Meredith just started singing that song in that car uh, of Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And every time I hear it, I I think about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God on my family, and and, uh, I just am filled with gratitude. In fact, I look out across this room, and so many of you I know, I'm so grateful for you. Uh, If you're new to Battle Creek, can I just say to you, we have the best volunteers on the planet, in this church right here. In fact, just give all of them a hand. I'm so grateful for you. And before we jump in, can all of you here welcome all of other campuses and all of those joining us online? Uh, Brenda in Hawaii. Oh, we would love to be with you, Brenda. Oscar in El Salvador, and we got friends in North Carolina, Arkansas, Texas, Illinois, and Egypt, just to name a few. Welcome today. Now, let me just sidebar for just another second, uh, because some of you have asked me over the last few weeks, and you've said, hey, Pastor, uh, a a few months ago, you asked us to pray about four things specifically related to the Broken Arrow building and related to the insurance company, and I've been praying, and I'm waiting on an update. Could could you update us? And I haven't been tardy in that. We she just got some of the updates this this week uh, but but I'm happy to announce to you two, two things. Number one, we got the first six-figure insurance check uh, th- this week and a commitment uh, from them. We're praying that a couple of seven-figure checks come in uh, uh, soon, And but, but we are in goodwill and good faith with them today, and they are communicating with us. So thank you for praying for that, because that's a miracle, actually. And, and then the second thing that I'm so thrilled to announce to you today is, is as we're talking about going all in and this generosity initiative going forward in our church, church, I'm happy to announce to you today that zero all-in dollars will be needed to remediate or rebuild the Broken Arrow campus, zero. And uh, and so that's a big, 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 big praise uh, the Lord, and, and so we do. And I don't think I told you the story before about this sophomore in our church who was in college, and he was... Uh, anticipation, worrying over this notoriously difficult final that he was going to have in his ornithology class. And and ornithology is the study of birds. And and, and he had stayed up all night, multiple nights uh, in a row studying for this exam. He was discouraged when he walked in to take the test because rather than essay and multiple choice questions that he he typically would get on birds on, on this kind of a test, there were just 25 pictures on the screen. Not of birds in all of their magnificent color. It was just pictures of bird feet. And the whole exam was to identify the 25 species of birds by their feet. This kid had stayed up all all night, multiple nights, did not study any of this. He screamed and yelled in in, in frustration and said, this is ridiculous. I cannot do this. He decided in protest to walk out of the final. The the professor stopped him before he got out the door and said, young man, if you walk out that door, not only will you fail the final, you will fail the class. The the kid said, go ahead and fail me. The, The professor said, okay, you fail. Tell me your name. And the student looked at him and pulled up his pants legs and said, you professor, go ahead and tell me what my name is and walked out the door. Now you say, what's the point of that? Here's the point. Nobody likes an unfair test. Right. Nobody likes an unfair test. A test is meant to, to accurately identify what it is that you know. Right. And we are in a series we're calling All In where we're studying the life of one of the most important figures in all of history, Abraham. And over and over and over again in Abraham's life, we see God testing him again and again and again to prove uh, what is in him right? Abraham, do do you really believe me? Abraham, do you really, really, really trust me? Abraham, will you really go with me and follow me anywhere? Now think about it. Why didn't God immediately give Abraham his son of promise? Why didn't he immediately whisk him away to the promised land the very moment he agreed to follow God? Why didn't he do that? Instead, he made him wait somewhere between 25 and 35 years for the son wandering along this winding journey that that was filled with dangers and heartbreaks and setbacks. And and, and why did he do that? And this is important. And I want you to write this down because God was not just trying to take Abraham somewhere. He was trying to make Abraham into someone. And you got to hear me today, church. What God is doing in you is actually infinitely more important than what he is doing through you. He doesn't just wanna take us as the children of God to heaven, he wants to put heaven in us. And and so that's what this all-in season is all about. God is not only wanting to grow this ministry through us, he's growing faith and surrender in us, and we get to Genesis chapter 22 today in our journey through Genesis, and we're going to see Abraham face another test. This one, by far, the most difficult that he had ever faced. And by the way, we know this was a test because the text tells us that it was a test. But but don't miss this point. Abraham did not know that it was a test in that moment. In fact, the old King James Version says that God tempted Abraham. Now, that's a terrible translation of that Hebrew word. Uh, And and, and theologically, it's incorrect as well, right? Because we know God cannot be tempted. And and we know that he does not tempt us, right? But, but, But the better word in Hebrew there is God proved. That's the word for tested in Hebrew. He was proving Abraham. The enemy tempts us to trip us up. God tests us to bring the best out of us. And, And by Genesis chapter 22, Abraham already had his miracle baby. They called him Isaac. Isaac means son of laughter. In other words, this whole thing was just funny. And they all seemed to understand that. I mean, think about it. Abraham and Sarah are almost a hundred years old when they had their baby, which means for, for their birthdays that year, uh, Isaac and Abraham both probably got diapers, right? And, and, and so uh, they're walking through this journey. Now, page 55 in your booklet, if you got your booklet, go to page 55. If you don't have a booklet, Raise your hand and, and we'll get you a booklet. Or you, if you have a device, you can just go to battlecreekchurch.com forward slash all in and, and you can download uh, the booklet. But ushers, if we have some extras, if you'll help uh, get those out a, a, at this time at all of our campuses. But, but uh, I, I want to back up one verse, actually, okay? I'm not seeing the ushers moving at all. With the, oh, here you come. <laughs> a little faster, ushers. I just said you're the best volunteers on the planet. Uh so let, let, let's move fast. But, but let, I want to back up one verse if I can, okay? Because the booklet starts in verse two, but I think we need a running start. Let's just start at, at the beginning of the chapter, verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. Circle those words, here am I. And right out beside it, uh, the Hebrew context. Because the Hebrew uh, is not just hello, That's not what Abraham is saying. What he's saying, here am I, he's saying, here am I, I'm ready for your command. That's what he's declaring in in, in those Hebrew words. It is a statement of surrender. And, And to be frank and honest with you, I find that reaction a bit remarkable. Considering every time that God had called Abraham's name up until this point, every time up until this point, he had asked Abraham to turn his back on something good. He had asked Abraham to leave something. He had asked Abraham into something that appeared to be impossible. And just to be honest with you, I would be like, oh, God is calling again, right? You know, and what does he want this time? Now, be honest. Some of you have felt that way about this series. You felt that way about this series and you thought, what does God want from me now? What, What does he want this time? What you would think for Abraham that the pinnacle the pinnacle of his faith journey is Isaac being given to him, right? That that after that, that it would be smooth sailing with God until he's in heaven, right? That somehow he waited and waited and waited. And now God gave him this promised son. And you would think he's getting on an escalator, right? Just, just going to take him for the rest of his life, just on up into heaven. And, And, but this was just the beginning with God. And, and there was more ahead. And from our perspective, we know the story, right? We read the story with the tail end in mind, right? We, we, we know the story. We know that on the back end of this test, God gives Abraham the greatest blessing in the history of all blessings in the history of the world. We, we know that. But, but in fact, what's the application? The application is, listen, when God is testing you, he's not testing you so that you can fail or succeed. He's testing you so that you can be blessed, And we feel that tension, don't we, from time to time? We feel it. Just be honest. We we feel it. It Maybe you think, I already give generously. What more do you want, God? Just that, more. He he wants more for you. So he's calling you to a higher and higher standard to give more and more so that you can get more out of this place in your journey. And Abraham's response is amazing when he says, "Here, here am I, God, because he trusts God. And the difference between a life of drudgery and and a life of joy is just that, trusting Jesus. It is so sweet. To trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. You, You show me a happy Christian and I'll show you one who has learned to trust Jesus. You show me a faltering Christian, and I'll show you one who is yet to learn how good God is and how big God's commitment is to us. Now, let's keep reading. Verse two, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Circle that word Moriah in your Bible, and I'm going to come back to it multiple times in this message, but for now, you can just note the mountains of Moriah are Jerusalem. Okay, that, that, that Jerusalem is built on the mountain range uh, of Moriah. In fact, there's no greater site than the site on the trip to Israel where we stand on the Mount of Olives across the valley from Mount Moriah, and we look back to Mount Moriah and and, and take in the whole lay of the land, and begin to study that whole process. In fact, two of you asked this week, is it too late? It's not too late, but it is almost too late for you to go with me in January. And if you want to sign up to go January 8th with me to Israel, I'll take you here and I'll show you the land of Moriah. But look at what he says, sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love Isaac and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. So God said, take your son. Now here's what Hebrew scholars say about this text, that at this this point in this text, the language suddenly slows down dramatically. In fact, it slams to a crawl. Because what God is saying seems unbelievable. And it reverberates through Abraham's soul. The the word in Hebrew for son here is the word Ben. Ben. Benjamin means son of my right hand, right? Ben means son. Son, Ben, appears 10 times in this one text over and over and over. Your son. Which one? Abraham had two sons, remember? Your only son, pause. Uh Uh-oh. There's only one left in the camp at this point. The son whom you love, pause. That's Isaac. You see, this son represented everything to Abraham and Sarah. He was the child of promise. He was what they had left everything for. And all of their hopes and all of their dreams and all of their affections centered upon this child. And God says, I want you to offer him up to me as a burnt offering. What? Isaac was the one thing that made life worth living for them. And here's a question for you to ponder today. How far could God go with you? in his request before you begin to push back? How far could God say to you, give me that before you begin to fight and push back? Abraham went all the way to the son of promise without pushing back. Confession. I feel like I might push back at a car or a relationship or a savings account. How far can God push you as his child, before you push back? That's a great question in this text. Let's keep reading. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and located his donkey. There's a joke there I want to make, but I won't. He, he, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering he set out for the place God had told him uh, about now in Hebrew uh, there are six verbs in this one verse that is significant because that does not happen in Hebrew that means this is a process there is a checklist that is happening this thing is going in slow motion it's like when your dad says get down here right and, and so it's going slow motion and look what it says, on the third day, uh, which means he took the long road. It's not that far. On the third day, it's like a Rodney Atkins song, makes me want to take the slow way home, right? He He is going the long way on the third day. By the way, this is where third day, the whole concept is introduced into the scripture. It's always messianic from this point forward. It is pointing to the Messiah who would die on this same mountain. Abraham looked out and he saw the place in the distance. And so he's pointing to this Messiah. Look at verse 5. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Circle the we both times in that text because it's interesting the words he's using. We. In other words, Abraham was convinced that somehow they were both coming back. Why? Because God had made a promise. God had a promise to fulfill. He did not know how God would work it out, but he knew that God would. And the whole journey, he's probably recounting the whole encounter that we studied a couple of weeks ago in Genesis 15, where God took responsibility for both sides of the covenant. And he's rehearsing it over and over and over again. God, you said, God, you said, God, you promised, you promised God, God, you, you promised. And by the way, we get some insight into this text in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament where the biblical writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit tells us that Abraham in that moment was convinced he was going to kill Isaac. He was convinced of it, but he was convinced that somehow God would raise Isaac from the dead. By the way, Abraham had no context, like you and I have context, of God raising somebody from the dead. At that point, no context for raising somebody from the dead. But he believed that's what was going to happen because God made a promise. Now, here's the dilemma. You and I read this story with the end in mind. We know the story, we, we, we know what happened. So we race through it all the way to the ripcord at the end, right? And we wanna get to the ripcord and immediately we wanna get to the spiritual. And we wanna leave the earthly out because the spiritual application is so much easier and palpable for us to for, for us to take in. But but we, we're asked by God to act sometimes and we're already looking for the ripcord. Abraham believed he was going to kill his son. And what drove Abraham up that mountain was not the strength of his character. It was not him marching step after step saying, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. He had to be saying going up that mountain, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good to me. Church, hear me, the only thing that can drive you forward as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, through difficult times, maybe disease, maybe hardship, whatever it is, the only thing that can move you forward, listen to me, it's not the strength of your character. It is the unwavering conviction in the goodness and the promises of God. Look look, look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on uh, together. By the way, kudos to Isaac here, right? If Isaac is strong enough to carry the wood, he's strong enough to overtake a 115-year-old frail man. Scholars say that Isaac was at least 15 years old. That's different than the picture I studied as a child. At least 15 years. He's a young man in this story. Which means his dad is at least 115 years old. Which means Isaac is crawling up on the altar. And he is trusting God and his dad. Would your teenager do that? The only way Isaac would do this is he had to have inherited A big trust in God from his daddy. He heard his daddy talk about it all the time. He saw his daddy live it out all the time. And his daddy's trust in God caught fire in his heart. That kind of faith is caught. It's not taught. And here's the question we should ask ourselves. Does how we live, does how we give, does how we obey teach our children to trust God like that? Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Right in your margin, Isaac was familiar with this. He'd seen this before. He was very familiar with this process, so familiar that he understood an ingredient was missing. Now we see what Abraham's been doing in the dark for the last three days. He has been reminding himself of the promises of God. That's what he's been doing. This was not just a command to kill Isaac. If that were the command, Abraham could have done that in the tent at home. He could have just stabbed him. There is something much deeper going on here. The offering of the firstborn in the Old Testament symbolized the debt that man man owes to God. And throughout the whole Old Testament, God laid claim claim to, to the firstborn because it represented our very lives. In the Hebrew sacrificial system, God required the firstborn of the cattle and the sheep to be sacrificed to him, as well as the firstfruits from the garden of, of the grain and the fruits. In other words, the life of the firstborn was forfeit. And the only way that you could spare the life of the firstborn was some sort of redeeming sacrifice that had to be made. And here's what God was showing. There is a debt that every family has to him. That's why Abraham and Isaac understood what was happening here and understood what he was asking of them. Uh, Pastor and, and author Tim Keller says it this way. If Abraham had thought that God had told him to kill Sarah, and, and, and said, and then I will know that you love me, that Abraham would not have done that, that he would have su- assumed he was hallucinating because God would not command a senseless murder like that. And, and God would not say it because it would be murder. But, but God, when he said firstborn, both Abraham and Isaac knew exactly what God meant. The firstborn represents the very life and the very debt that every one of us owes to God. Now, now look at verse nine. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. That is so messianic, so much theology. We could just drop anchor right here. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on uh, together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here here I am. Same phrase again. I stand ready for your command. I bet he did at that moment, right? Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son your only son with the knife suspended in mid air Abraham proved himself and he passed the test. He showed God there was nothing he would not entrust to him. He showed God there was nowhere that he would not go with him. Now look at what happens. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as the burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now what you name a place in Hebrew culture is incredibly significant because it implies and encapsulates the significance of what happened there. Isn't it interesting that they called this place the Lord provides and that they didn't call it Abraham obeyed. You see something more important uh, than Abraham's impressive obedience. It's demonstrated to us in this story and it's God's commitment to us. Remember Mount Moriah and that day was right outside Jerusalem. Today it is Jerusalem. And the scholars say that that is the very place where Jesus was crucified, Calvary. In other words, the very mountain that that Jesus would die on, this drama that we're reading today was enacted on that mountain more than a thousand years before Jesus came. It's as if Abraham is playing the part of God. Isaac is playing the part of Christ, but only up until the moment that God stops the sacrifice and points to the lamb caught in in the thorn bushes. By the way, it's interesting for you to note that the ram was caught by his horns. So you know what that implies? That his body was unblemished messianic. And more than a thousand years later, Jesus would walk up that same mountain. But this time, no substitute lamb would be provided because he was the unblemished lamb. And he would willingly allow himself to be slayed on that altar. I'd never read this story that I don't think back to uh, my early youth ministry days when I came across this video I don't remember the exact title of the video, but I think it was called "ETau." And the, the video was about this missionary couple who wanted to go on the mission field. God called them to go on the mission field, and no agency uh, would pass them. And so they went on their own. And, and, and they went to Papua New Guinea and, and into this tribal culture uh, where, where the big hoops in the ears and nakedness and all kinds of stuff that is just strange to us in an American culture in these huts and in these tribes. And and they went in and had to use four translators because nobody could speak English and speak their language. And so they had to go through one translator after another, after another, after another to get to the language. And they thought, where do you start with a people group, a tribal people group who don't know anything about the Bible, never even heard of the Bible. They don't never heard of God. They never heard of Jesus. They don't know anything about the scripture. Where do you start? And, And the answer is in the beginning. And, and so you start in Genesis 1.1. And so the video documents years and years and years uh, of their ministry to these people where they set in motion a chronological uh, approach to the scripture to show the people what happened in chronology uh, uh, all the way from creation to, to, to this point in the story. And they're having the, the members of the tribe act out different parts in, in, in the skits. And the whole tribe gathers in the center of all these tents every day to watch the messages and to watch the, uh, the scriptures being taught and dramatized. And they had one guy in a tribe with some horns on it. He's pretending like he's a ram caught in the thicket. And, and, and when they get to the story of Abraham and Isaac, they all begin to cheer and celebrate when the lamb is caught in the thicket and is provided in place of the son. And the video shows that a couple of years later, in the chronology, when they get to the story of Jesus, that all of these people, having heard Bible stories one time each, get to Jesus going up that hill, and they all are convinced there's going to be a lamb in the thicket. And when Jesus dies in the story on the cross, they all begin to, in their tribal fashion, belly wail. They hit the ground and dramatically are weeping and crying and and cannot, the emotion has overcome them. Until the moment that the missionary begins to explain that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb for you, and me. And in that moment, the whole tribe goes bananas. And they start lifting the missionary up like he just won the world cup. And and all of them are screaming and yelling and they're dancing and they're shouting and they're yelling and they're shouting and they're screaming and they're celebrating. And and they begin to chant in their language, this word, etau, 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 etau. And etau in their language means it is true. It is the truth. Not one convert for five years. And they get to this moment in the story and the whole tribe accepts Christ and forms a missionary agency to send tribal members to other tribes all around that place. That's the power of this story and that's the power of the gospel because we know how much the Father actually loves us. That's the point of this story, that he did not withhold his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, Jesus. This story is first and foremost not about Abraham's commitment to God. It's about God's commitment to Abraham. That's why the mountain is commemorated as the Lord will provide, not Abraham obeyed. And listen to me, guys, when when your life and when it's all said and done over your life and you look backwards over your life, the thing that is gonna stand out, I promise you, will not be your great sacrifices to God. It will be his steadfast faithfulness to you. And the more you know that now, the more willingly you want to obey in every day of your life. When when you see that God has not withheld his son, his only son, the son that he loves for you, what could we possibly withhold from him? Jesus obeyed and we are saved. We're saved because he obeyed. By extension, when we obey, others are saved. That's crazy, isn't it? That our faith and our obedience are the means by which God multiplies us on earth. Have you noticed in the story so far that every time Abraham trusts and obeys, God renews and intensifies the promise? You've got to write this down in your notes. God does not need Isaac. He, he doesn't need Isaac. Because Abraham obeyed, God multiplied him like the stars in the sky. And we sit here today like a couple of stars. Those stars. And here's the amazing part. If we obey, others will enter the kingdom through our obedience. That is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing when you think through that. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you understand what God has given you? What God has given you, do you you understand it? Because Christianity is not primarily about how we must obey God. Christianity is primarily about what God did for us. Jesus, the son whom obeyed perfectly, died in your place so that you could go free. And all you have to do is believe and receive and confess. That's all you have to do. In fact, could we just pause for a minute and give people a chance to do that right now? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and open your hearts at every every single campus? And could I just ask the question today? If you're here under the sound of my voice and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your Lord, your Savior, your, your forgiver, you know that. You know that he saved you. He walks with you and he talks with you. If you to die today, you know for sure you're going to heaven. If that's you at every single campus, campus pastors are coming at this time onto the stages. If, if that's you at every single campus, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me, I know. Just lift it up. Thanks. You can put it down. Do, do, do you know that thousands of hands just went up in our churches? Thousands. And do you know what that means? That means a man that died 2,000 years ago is still changing lives in 2021. You know why? He beat death, he beat hell, and he beat the grave. And he's alive. And he wants to change your life today. And so I, I, I want to thank you for being honest. Some of you couldn't raise your hand. Some of you raised your hand and maybe you shouldn't have. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Alex, I don't know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I don't know that if I die today, I'm going to heaven. I don't know if Jesus comes back tomorrow, if he's coming for me. This morning in our prayer circle it, it, as we prayed, we just felt like there are going to be some here today this is your very first time to church ever or in a long time and today could be the day of salvation for you but we also felt led to pray about some of you who've been here for years and years and years and have a knowledge of God but lack the power thereof you really don't have a relationship with God, that today could be the day of salvation for you. And so across all of our campuses, if you're here and you'd say, Pastor Alex, I don't know. I'm not sure. He doesn't walk with me and talk with me. But I would like to know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, would you just raise your hand at every campus, say, Pastor, pray for me. I I don't know. I don't know that Jesus is my Lord or my Savior. I don't know that he is my forgiver. Just raise your hand all across all of our campuses. Okay. Okay. In Midtown, would you raise your hand so that Pastor Jeff can see it? In Downtown, would you raise your hand so Pastor Josiah can see it? In Jinx, so Pastor Lucas can see it. In Owasso, so Pastor West can see it. In South Tulsa, so Pastor Keith can see it. Anybody else here in Broken Arrow? Just, just raise your hand and say, that's me. I, I, I don't know. Pray for me. If you're going to include uh, people in your prayer, would you include me in that prayer? Okay, I see you in the back. I see you over here in my right, in the front. I see you in the middle, over here to my left. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. If you're going to pray, include me in that prayer. I would like to know. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm just going to pray for you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Before I pray, include me in that prayer. Okay, I see you right back here. I want to lead you in this prayer, but before I do, I want to pray for you as, as promised. Father, I pray today for every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice that today could be the day of salvation for them. Father, that they could cross that faith line and leave the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of God. And I pray today salvation would spring up through these concrete floors into the lives of men and women and boys and girls. Father, I pray that you would win the victory in every heart and every life. I pray that not a single person would sit there and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle you right out of their life and wrestle you right out of uh, the, the presence that you want to be in their life. I pray today you'd win the victory and they would wrestle the enemy out. They would wrestle the doubt out and they would pray this prayer and they would trust Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior. And that right here in our midst, in front of our eyes, that we would get to see it. Men and women, trust Jesus with all of their hearts and with all of their lives. We are praying that together, church. And so if you're here and you want to trust Christ, you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to pray it one phrase at a time so that you can repeat it after me. But I don't want you to repeat it in a a, a, a rote fashion. I want you to pray it and talk to God in heaven. You're going to hear men and women and boys and girls praying all around you. Nobody's going to pray alone at every campus, you want to pray that prayer and you mean it, you want to trust Jesus, would you just pray out loud and say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, would you come into my life to be my Lord, my savior, my forgiver, in the best way that I know how. I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you, Jesus that you were not ashamed or embarrassed of me. But on that cross, in that public place, you died naked on my behalf. Thank you. Help me in this moment and all the days of my life to not be ashamed of you. Thank you for saving me. And before we say amen, before we look up, every single campus you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart would you just raise your hand and say pastor I I prayed that I meant that with all of my heart just just raise your hand at every single campus I I, I meant that I see back here back here back here uh, over here in the corner anybody else to my left and every campus just raise your hand okay right here and right here in in the middle section right here I see you and over here in this section I see a bunch of you I see several of you right here on the front row all seated together Anybody else, just raise your hand at every single campus. Say, I prayed that prayer. I meant it with all of my heart. Not playing games with Jesus. Okay, thank you. You you, you can put them down. I want to ask one more question before we look up and finish this prayer time. How many of you would say, Pastor, the next step for me, it's baptism. I don't know why, but the enemy has a heyday in this area of obedience called baptism. It's the first step of obedience after you pray and give your life to Jesus. Dozens of you just prayed a moment ago to give your life to Jesus. Your next step of obedience is baptism, but sometimes uh, people get saved and and go years and don't follow the Lord in step number one. Do you know that that it's a barrier to your growth? It's illogical for you to take steps two or five or 200 before you take step number one. Do, Do you know I've never met a believer who after they were baptized said, well, that was a mistake. Never, not one time. Nor have I ever met a believer who walks with Jesus day in and day out who hasn't fallen the Lord in believer's baptism. And so would you trust him today in that area of your life? And so at every campus, if you're here and you say, pastor, that's my next step, it's baptism. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand? across the room, at every room, okay? I see some here in Broken Arrow, at every campus, every campus, just raise your hand. I need to be baptized, I need to take that step. Pray for me, that I could be obedient to that step. Every single campus, you just raise your hand and say, that's me, pray for me, I need to do that. There are several here. Now, now could I do this? You can put your hands down, could I, could, I, could I do this real quick? At every campus, if you raised your hand on either of those, I prayed that prayer in a minute, or I need to be baptized either way you raise your hand on one of those or the other or should have then would you again just raise your hand all across all of our rooms just raise your hand across all of our rooms if you raised it on either of those then then go ahead and raise it back up so that I can find you so that your campus pastor can find you I prayed the prayer in a minute or I need to be baptized just raise your hand up high so, so that it can be found a- across all of our rooms and if your hand is up I just want you to look up the rest of you you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed if your hand is up just look up right here you're ready right here. You're ready. Okay. Right back here. I see several family members t- together. You're ready. You're ready to obey God. And you're meaning it right here in the back row. You you mean that. Okay. Over here, there was some over here. Just wave at me so that I can find you. If you would at every campus, look up at me or look up at your campus pastor. I see you in the very back against the wall over there. Every campus, just look up at your campus pastor, wave your hand so that they can find you right here, ma'am on the aisle. I see you. Okay. And right here, sir, right here, uh, right here, ma'am, right here, ma'am, uh, right here, these three of you side by side, right here, ma'am. Anybody? else right here, right back here. There's a couple together. Any, anybody else? You meant it. Could could I ask you to do this? If you're looking at me or at your campus, Pastor, would you just stand up? The rest of you, your heads bowed, eyes closed. You prayed that prayer, just stand up. I just want to speak to just those who who are ready today, who who are saying, I'm going in with Jesus today. I'm trusting Jesus today. Just stand up all across all of the rooms. Now, we're not going to clap yet, but there are people standing at every single campus, at every single campus. Just stand to your feet if you would. And can I say to those of you who are standing across all of these campuses today, Congratulations. Congratulations wisest and smartest decision you have ever made to obey and walk with Christ. And so could I ask you to do this, at every single campus, if you're standing, would you just come stand right here for a second? Nobody else opening your eyes uh, yet. Just step out in the aisle and say, excuse me, if, if somebody brought you, you're a guest, say, come go with me. I don't want to go by myself. You didn't bring me here to go by myself. Grab somebody and bring them with you. But just start coming. Just start coming at this time. You know what the Bible says? The angels in heaven are throwing a party right now. Let's celebrate with the angels in heaven. Anybody else, just come on. They're still coming over here and they're still coming over here. And every camp has just come to the front. And we just want to congratulate you and say to you that we are thrilled. If you're the only one, Jesus would have died for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. I, 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 I know a few stories. I don't know all. Jesus knows them. I just met this family. This morning, first time. Right here in the aisle. Because one of our families is helping and fostering and taking care of them. But the fostering doesn't end with the children. The fostering ends with the whole family. Let's bring the whole family to know Christ. Let's let's, let's bring them together. Let's see if we can put this thing back together. That's the power of the gospel. It's good news. It's good news. And I love that this church is a church that exists for you. To say, come on, come on, come on. Jesus loves you and he wants you. Let's celebrate one more time with these. And if you would lead the way right here, I've got a pastor right there. you just make your way. we got a pastor right there who's gonna pray with you and, and encourage you and help you in your new uh, found relationship with Jesus Christ. And while they go make this, this incredibly great decision, okay? Let, let, let me just ask the rest of you one second question, okay? If you forgot your purse or Bible, go get it. That's okay. Grab whatever you need. And, and, and I want to ask you one more question, okay? And, and, and here's the question. Are you fully surrendered in all things to him? You can't preach this text and not ask that question. Are you fully surrendered in all things to him? in response to what God has done for you? Have you offered yourself back to him as a living sacrifice? The the point is not just to identify your Isaac and and give it to him as if that's what God needs from you, right? The, The point is that you give him all things, including your Isaac. Your Isaac just simply represents the one thing that makes surrender, full surrender, difficult for you. That's what Isaac represents. The point is not that God needs your Isaac. The point is that every single part of our lives in response to the gospel has been offered back to God without restriction. In fact, if you have the commitment card that you got in the book, just take it. If you don't, on the book, it's page 33, the commitment card. So look at it in your book, page page 33. I just want to teach you for three minutes while they're praying and making decisions. Page 33 in your book or this card. Write these three things down. Because when we pray to God about what we put on this card in the next few days or next few weeks, it should include and look like the, these three things. First of all, it should, it should look like faith. What we give is supposed to feel like a risk. It's supposed to. Like, like planting a seed feels like a risk, right? Right? Like what Abraham did felt like a risk. You remember what C.S. Lewis said about giving? I I quoted it a few weeks ago. The only safe rule when giving is to give until it scares us. Only then do we know we're giving by faith. So what we write here should include faith. But B, it it should include sacrifice. Abraham gave the first and the best, right? What meant the most to him. This Mount Moriah that we talked about today... Is not just the place where Abraham and Isaac took place, and it's not just the place where Jesus died on the cross. This is the very same place where in the middle of those two things, King David showed up in Jerusalem and bought the threshing floor. It's the very same place where his son Solomon would come and build the temple on that very same mountain. Now, David didn't take the threshing floor. Remember, he paid for it. In other words, this is an offering is not about meeting the needs of God. It's about making a statement to God. You you see, for some of you in our church, you, you might be able to give a gift that on the balance sheet of most of our homes would look huge. But for you, it's not meaningful. And it doesn't represent your first and your, and your best. Here's the point. God does not measure generosity by the size of the gift, but by the size of the sacrifice. Does what we offer to God in the next few weeks show that we love him like Abraham And his offering showed God. Here's the third one. Full surrender. This may be the most important of the three, but because full and total surrender, surrender is different than sacrifice, isn't it? Surrender is a blank check. For those of you who are under 30 years old, you don't know what a check is, ask your parents. A blank check without restriction. The point is, all I have, all that I am, all that I ever hope to be. Surrender is the response of a grateful heart. This says, hey, God, you gave everything for me, and without you, I have nothing. And in response, all that I have is at your disposal. Now, there's a box on on this commitment card, and a few of you have asked me about it. And so I just want to speak to it for a moment. Right here, it says the box that gifts from my or our stored uh, resources Meredith and I are are, are wrestling with that box and and what is that going to mean for us here's the point everyone has stored resources everyone for for some it may be property it may be stocks it may be retirement accounts it may be cash savings for others it may be a, a tangible possession I had one guy tell me he's going to sell his, his gun collection and give the money to all in. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. I, I have a gun collection. Maybe you have a classic car and God's going to say, hey, I want it. And you're going to sell it and give that to all in. You're a teenager. Maybe it's an iPad. Maybe it's a, a, an Apple watch. And God is saying, I, I, I want that. Would you sell that and give that to all in? For others, it may be deferring a vacation that you, you, you've been saving for. It may be a retirement funds it may be selling a piece of property here's the point I, I don't know I don't know what God is asking you to do but but I do want to ask you this and felt led to ask you this what's your Isaac as it relates to your stored resources what's your Isaac what is that thing that you would say surely not God I waited a hundred years on this son, God, and, and now you're going to ask me to offer it up to you? I, I don't know. We, Meredith and I are wrestling with this. And asking God to truly show us if what we're saying is the truth, that everything is on the table for you, God, and asking him to show us if there's something that's actually not on the table that we could put on the table as we demonstrate our willingness to offer it up to Uh, What what God asked you to do in this season is going to be different than what God asked me to do. And different from somebody else. What what does that mean? It means the question is not, what is God asking of them? Or or what are they going to do? The question is, what, what does God want from me? That's the real question, right? Is your all, is your Isaac on the altar before your Lord? And again, the whole thing is not about meeting the needs of God. He has no needs. It's about him having total control and total dominance in our hearts. This is a response of worship. Battle Creek, listen, God is doing amazing things here. He is expanding this ministry through us. And what happens in this season is going to change our city. It is going to change the eternities of thousands and thousands of people and thousands and thousands of families. And and, and know this, this week as you take that card, here's all I'm asking you to do. Listen to God. Just listen to God. Don't ask other people if you don't have. Just listen to God. Let's stand together and make this creed we've been making the last couple of weeks together, if, if we could. If you'll throw it on the screen and if you'll read it along with me, okay? God, awaken us from our slumber. Attune us to the movement of your Spirit. Empower us to be a people who are truly all in. We desire to surrender ourselves fully to you. Show us how you want us to give generously as you have so generously given to us. Equip us, God, to help all people of all ages, all the time, advance in their journey with you. Jesus, we desire to go all in. Would you give him a hand in this place today? Gosh, come, if you would.